Hello. Welcome to the Poetry Bath with me, Sham Thomas. In this episode, you can hear the first part of my interview with Joanna Nissel, whose debut pamphlet, Gorilla Brightenings, was published by Against the Grain Press in 2022. Joanna is also working on a PhD in mentoring practice in the contemporary UK poetry ecology with the University of Southampton and Bath Spa University. And the reason I asked Joanna to come on the show was because her work is full of this wonderful sense of immediacy, this lovely collision between past and present. So yes, please stay tuned for plenty of poetry and conversation. Joanna Nissel, you are hugely welcome to the all-new Poetry Bar. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's lovely to have a proper chat with you. Well, it's wonderful finally to have this this chat. I mean, we have been arranging this for, oh, feels like about six months now. It's probably not far off, actually. (laughs) Well, we met for the first time, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, we didn't meet when I first went to Tears in the Fence Festival, but we met last September. Um, is that right? I think so. It's it's kind of one of those ones where I'm not sure if I just didn't say hello to you properly before. <laughs> and I, I sort of knew, I definitely knew your name. Um, I knew that you were local and I should introduce myself. So I think maybe I took the active effort last year and was like, no, I need, need to talk to Sean, I need to talk to Sean. And then came and said hello. But yeah, we'll take it from there. <laughs> Well, it's always so difficult, isn't it, with poetry festivals, because there's so much going on and you do so much listening and so much sort of standing around and talking. And you, you're always aware of other people you should be talking to or, or mm. would love to talk to. And then and then the time goes and actually all you want, I, I'm sure you're the same, all you want is to, is to run away and be completely silent for a few hours and not talk to anyone. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, especially with a festival like Tears in the Fence, where we have such a community that comes back every year, the kind of the boundary between professional and friend gets blurred quite a lot. So you just want to hear about people's lives, don't you? Um, But then, of course, it's two and a half days of quite solid, fairly intellectually intense um, activity. So, yeah, I definitely reach a certain point where I, I don't really engage as much with the evening activities, which I always feel like I've missed out. But then I remember at the end of the day, I'm so tired and that's why I don't go to them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's an incredibly friendly festival. It's just lovely, isn't it? Because you do, mm. as you say, it's a real community and and the kind of the lines are blurred between between uh, uh, colleagues and friends. Mm. Uh, but yeah, also completely knackering for all, for all of that for exactly those reasons. Mm. Ah, right. Well, we should talk about you, though. You are a Sussex-based poet. So tell me about Sussex, Joanna. I was born in London, actually, um, sort of northwest, nearish, Golders Green, um, kind of Hendon Way. And my grandparents had a little uh, cottage down in Sussex um, that they, uh, we used to go to for weekends and things. Um, so I've been coming to Sussex since I was born, so it feels very much like a, a longer part of my uh, heritage and my history. 
Um, and then we moved here when we were sort of at the age of me and my brother going to secondary school. So we were sort of living near, I don't know if you know the village Alfriston? Yes. Yes. So I went to primary school for a couple of years there um, and then went to secondary over in Seaford. So all kind of near Seven Sisters, Friston Forest, all that kind of way. And I was absolutely delighted because I've always loved this area. I always thought it was beautiful and I don't know quite, it just had this kind of storybook feel for me because um, it's not like we were in like particularly urban area of London. Like we were close enough to places like Hampstead Heath that you still had quite a lot of green, but I don't know what it was. I just loved, loved being down here. Ended up moving back after university though. Now I'm towards Horsham. Yeah. It does have, I mean, that that area particularly has a very m- magical feel. I, I completely agree. Cookmere Haven and, and the Long Man and there's something mm. about all that Revilius chalk and, mm. um, and and the folklore of chalk paths and yeah I, I have many a poem about the chalk paths because our our house uh, we moved into that cottage basically um and it backed on to quite literally about got 20 second walk from the front door was one of the chalk paths up to where the long man of wilmington is hence why it's, it's worked its way into into the book yeah and I, I have many fond memories of going up those paths and picking all the blackberries and making those crumbles and pies and things when i was little it's all very wholesome <laughs> <laughs> well, could you kick us off with a poem then, please, Joanna? Yes. Though I was going to start with the long poem, but I might do the long man one as we've gone on to Sussex. Brilliant. So the poem's called The Long Man of Wilmington, and it's this, for anyone who doesn't live locally, it's like a big pagan symbol of a, a man. It's made in these huge chalk slabs, and he's holding two sticks, and it's like a, yeah, old old pagan fertility symbol. And the story of this was um, my dad's, best friend was a guy called Dave and um, Dave Bryant I'm not sure if any of his lighting installations might still be available online but he was a lighting designer and he used to do some not entirely legal <laughs> lighting installations where he'd go in and do hence why the book is called Gorilla Brightenings because he'd come into these spaces and light them up take some photos take it all down before the police arrived and then run away and he did this to the long man of Wilmington which I think, Sean, you can appreciate the the scale of this bloody thing. It's massive. It's enormous, yes. Huge. Um, so my parents helped. There was quite a few of them. And because my dad knew those chalk paths from having gone to the same cottage from a child, he could navigate those pathways in the dark. And they went and they lit up the long man. And they managed to get back out again because they knew where all the pathways were, all the things before the police arrived. And they tell this story of being able to see the blue lights on the horizon and knowing they needed to wrap up and they got back again. She was so um, I wanted to tell that story because I think that um, really encapsulates kind of who Dave was and like that my uh, his friendship with my dad. They met at um, Bristol Old Vic when they were both training to be kind of stage managers, lighting designers, that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, really interesting people. And obviously the, the the tinge of sadness is that both of them have now passed away. Um, but there are some amazing stories that I wanted to tell. So that's The Long Man of Wilmington, which might make uh, a little bit of, well, help you understand some of the references to stages. The Long Man of Wilmington for Dave. There he is, skinny light man, master of rigs, quick wit stage caller, His voice over the tannoy directs bulbs, conjures an arden that pulses with rave sweat. 
He taught my father about love, as if browsing cheese samples proffered on a paper plate, eyeing all the mad, delicious options, never abandoning the possibility of Wensleydale. In a series of guerrilla brightenings, he infiltrated forests, lined the branches with fairy lights, tubes of colour, devils, saints. One night, they snuck up chalk paths, scaled the downs, strung the long man where he reclined, lazy as a man can be, until his body, twin poles, glistened. Golden light, Edam, topaz. Take this for a fertility symbol, sweetheart. Lovely. Lovely. I love the way that you that you make the the poem about three men. And I hadn't noticed it when I when I read it. Mm. But, I, but I heard it this time that the, the, the long man is as lazy as a, a man can be. Mm. It's gorgeous that he becomes a character in the in the poem as well. And is as mischievous as Dave and your dad as well, that there's mm. this kind of sense that they're in cahoots in some way. Mm. There's like he's kind of like one of those um oh I forget the name of the Greek god now, which is the one that's um wine and um, Bacchus. Bacchus or, or, yes, or Bacchus's moment, isn't he? What's what's the uh, uh, Dionysus? Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Um so he's reclining and he's just having these golden lights draped across him. He's like, fine, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> I think he loved the attention. Hmm. I love that sense of play and, and thinking about your work and, and just struck by the lines, eyeing all the mad, delicious options. And I think your work is full of mad, delicious options, isn't it? Oh, that's a lovely thing. Yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of the battle with, um, I think my practice generally, but particularly this book where it, it came out very quickly because I'd been trying to write a book before this uh, one came out and it had been through many different versions, kept getting shortlisted by publishers, but never quite made it. And it was a lot more of a sad, like memorialising kind of a, a pamphlet. And then with this one, I'm not quite sure what really happened during lockdown, but there was this kind of almost like chaotic energy that came out and it was just this creativity that was just flowing and flowing and I couldn't really stop it. And I think that was what worked. It was kind of just following that energy and my brain just ping-ponging off really random stuff and just going, no, we're going to throw it in. It's all going in, it's all going in the poems. And you can see it kind of in there, particularly in the long poems that start and finish the book, um, including all of those those mad, mad little tidbits that came up. And um, I think that, yeah, part of my practice is trying to listen to the madness and just put it down before I doubt that, okay, this isn't relevant. Because on the face of it, a lot of it kind of isn't but then it gets tied together in some way. And it's trusting that it will come together and don't doubt before you've even got like a first draft to wrangle with. I was talking to Suzanne Clary some in, back when, when, when we were on radio, one of the final shows, and she said, dare to say what doesn't make sense, mm. then, then wait patiently to see the sense inside of it. Oh, see, that's perfect. It is perfect. See, there is always a reason why your brain is connected one to the other. And I think maybe sometimes, not with every poem I write, but maybe for quite a lot of us, that part of the editing process is figuring out, okay, why was I connecting those two things? They're clearly linked, and now I can't remember why. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And and as you say, trusting, trust, uh, trying to listen to the madness, allowing the madness to be so that you can just trust it, so that you can just, yeah, find the sense afterwards. Um. So, well, would you give us a little madness then, please, Joanna, a little more mad? Actually, before you do, I just have to say, before you before you give us anything else, I have to say that, that it was wonderful that you read that poem, and particularly that you read it First of all, because my final guest, my last guest, uh, um, uh, Kevin Scully, read also read a poem about the long man. Oh my gosh, I haven't caught up on that one yet. That's brilliant. It's not yet available online, so, so you, did, you had no way of knowing. <laughs> and even more peculiar, I too have a poem about the long man. Did you? Ah, oh, have you done that that walk yourself then? So you know specifically which path I'm talking about. Yeah, I yes, I yes, I do. Are you coming up from the bottom or are you going up from the top? From yeah, the, yeah. Coming down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Near yeah. the pub at the bottom. Mm, yeah, mm, yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, anyway. would you, without further ado, <laughs> we need more poetry. Please, Joanna. I think I'm going to do um you know, I'm gonna do my other day poem. Uh, which is more of a family kind of poem, because I think it would be be sad not to. And again, I can sort of explain some of the the story and the context behind this one, because this one I know jumps through a lot of time. It, it moves quite a lot. And I know that was part of the, the work of the poem. So happy to chat about that a bit more. But Thoughts on Mother's Day 2020. This is not my first poem about washing hands. Dad learned the spell of lipid-based soaps, alcohol gel, cracked knuckle skin, to enter Dave's hospice room, festooned with cards, balloons. Did you know flower water is so germ-ridden it can be lethal? 20 years earlier, the diagnosis, then the fall down the stairs cracked his skull. The friend who found him scrubbed her hands of his blood, the ritual of it clutch of talismans worn around the neck, without knowing if it would protect her. For Mother's Day, I sketched a bouquet of spring, daffodils, bluebells, roses, hibiscus in biro. The last time I saw Dave, the groom was declaring wickedness, laziness. His wedding, my 11th birthday, Buddha barbling themed golds, fuchsia, lighting rigs from the boys at the old Vic, they stopped the ensuing rave, February frost melting against steamed windows, to bring me a cake with candles that, when I blew on them, relit themselves, never went out. Real sense of of things never finishing there with that mm. lovely ending. That it's that Dave and and of course your dad as well are still mm. very much part of your life. Mm, yeah, I, I really wanted to to use that as the final image because, um, and it, it's for me, it, it's a useful teaching tool if you're ever doing a creative writing class of, um, you know, the difference between sort of remembering something that actually happened and then using it in kind of a poetic sense because that was a real example that what happened was basically they were having a wedding. Dave's wedding was on my eleventh birthday, and my dad was the best man, so there's no way we're not we're doing birthday activities instead. But, um they brought me a cake and they had those relighting candles on them, which I was so angry with at the time because it was a really 
full of people I didn't know. I was, I was 11 years old and it was like a trick because I could never blow out the candles and I was absolutely fuming. And then looking back, there's all that kind of poetic potential of re- relighting flames and phoenix, all that kind of stuff that you can really twist and use it in another context. Um, but again, it's another story that shows their their humour that they thought this will be hilarious. Why don't we do this? <laughs> I mean, poor little thing. <laughs> Very mischievous. Incredibly mischievous. Yeah, absolutely. So how many guests were there? Do you remember how many people were there? It was quite, basically, they'd they'd rented a house in Devon and it was quite like a big, big old house. Um, But it was more like they'd rented it for a massive rave. (laughs) But um, (laughs) I think because at this point, um, as it kind of alluded to in the poem and the reason why you're not getting sent flowers and why flowers are lethal because of the germs is because um, Dave had HIV that developed into AIDS. And we knew by the time he got married that he was not going to live for a huge amount longer, though. He survived amazingly well, like at least 20 years. Um, but it was kind of like a last hurrah. So they really went for it. So it was quite a big event and it was that's why it was so opulent. And they just went, no, we're, we're having a big party. It's going to be joyful. We're going to have all these colours. It's going to be brilliant. Um, so, yeah, it was I think there must have been quite a lot of people. At least I remember <laughs> being so, so small that it was, yeah, a lot of people. An amazing thing to happen also, though, for your your 11th birthday to have mm. all this colour and opulence. And, oh, it was great. Carnival, yeah. <laughs> And, and I was also struck by the really the really poignant line of the clutch of talismans worn around the neck mm. as well, that, that there is this darkness under, underneath the, the exuberance that mm. knowledge that he will die. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was, um, it's kind of looking into, for me, this poem was about that kind of overlap between um well, it kind of came from because I remember someone asking me if I knew how to wash your hands properly. And and I I did. And I'd already written a poem because this was true. I'd written in one of the earlier versions of the of my first book. There was a poem about washing hands and it was because of Dave. So we already knew the protocol when COVID came in and I was shielding myself. Um, but my mum also my mum has Parkinson's. So she was vulnerable, not quite as vulnerable in the same sort of a way. But I was really concerned about giving her flowers and the germs and trying to keep her as healthy as possible which is why there's a, a drawn a bouquet of flowers and it kind of connected when going through COVID to having these remembrances of Dave and why we knew all these different things and how to treat illness how to manage when you yourself are not entirely well um, and it was it was that kind of that contrast of everything felt very immediate didn't it kind of uh, you've gone into that almost panic fight or flight mode during COVID that, that first lockdown at least I did with the whole shielding thing that there's that immediacy there's that brightness that comes with shock but then there's also the danger and that's the reason you've got it so it's that kind of tension between those two things yeah it it was an incredible experience I think for us all to to go through and I uh I it's 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 definitely changed us hasn't it all of us Mm. some more than than others of course but but yeah that that experience that immediacy it's 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 it seems so to me so sad that that the people are changed that we are changed and yet the companies and the and the and yeah. government have not changed and there seems to be such a, a tension between those 
those two. Mm. Um, we are coming to the end of this part of uh, the of the show. So, if you could, you give us a, a final poem to to round up this first mm. section, please, Joanna. Okay, right. I'm going to do. We've got another uh, Sussex Downs poem, which is for my dad, called Time Travel. Boys and Berlin kneels, shivering grey velvet, twists towards kind words, girasole. Voice echo overlaps the blade swing. Her ladies bear the rough spun coffin. Eight hands clutch handles, one swaddling her neck stump in a linen square. The wood must be so heavy, thin shoulders, clavicle straining against the skin. The wood must be chafing away their skin, their pale, too soft skin. It took six men to lift my father in a coffin covered with a photograph I'd taken of the hillside where he flew plywood aeroplanes over fields, downs, our old black dog running, running to follow its shadow. It's actually more of a, a sad end to the first, <laughs> first half. Beautiful poem. Amazing. What made you connect your dad to Anne Boleyn? I wasn't entirely conscious. Again, this was a slightly just following the, the feeling that it was we were watching um, Wolf Hall. Um, one Christmas and it was a moment not quite of a full triggering but it was that kind of memory that came back in a very visceral way for me of of them carrying the coffin and remembering what it was like seeing my own father's coffin being brought in it was just that that kind of image brought back and it was that kind of rawness that tenderness through the skin that really reminded me of the feeling of how kind of nerve raw you I was at the time because I was what 17 when my my dad passed um and it just that that image just took me and I thought okay this is a bit of a leap between watching Wolf Hall and a, a dog on the South Downs but that was kind of the the chain of memories and the link that came to me so I just went with it and just wrote it yeah you tried to listen to the madness again yeah listening to the madness <laughs> good beautifully listened You've been listening to The Poetry Bath with me, Sean Thomas. Our theme tune was composed and performed by Nigel Horn. Please do join us again for the second part of my interview with Joanna Nissel. Thanks for listening. Bye.